Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. This episode was recorded live on March 16th, 2013 at Union Hall in Brooklyn, where I do the show about every three months. In fact, I will be there again on June 15th, which may be today if you are listening to this on the day it was released, 8 p.m., on this episode, you will hear round one of the competition from back on March 16th, which features comedians Leah Bonima, Tim Ellis, John Ozelay, Rojo Perez, and Janine Brito, all reading erotic fan fiction pieces they wrote in advance based upon subjects they chose. To hear round two of the same show where comics read pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions, go download episode four, which features Nick Turner, Emily Heller, Mike Drucker, and Sean McCarthy. Uh, I'm going to bring up my buddy, Mike Drucker. Mike Drucker, ladies and gentlemen. You'll be hearing from him in a little bit. Right now, we're going to play a game called Porn Parody or Not a Porn Parody. He has the, he has the chance to get, let's say, bonus points. There's no points in this show. There's no point to this show. So uh, you're going to hear a list of film titles, and you have to guess if they are real porn parodies or fake ones that I made up. Oh, God. All right. All right, let's do it. Porn parody or not a porn parody? We're going to start with an easy one. Titanic. Not real that you made up. Uh, don't know. Didn't Google it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. All right. Number two, hard pork on Hudson. <laughs> porn parody or not a porn parody? I'm, I'm going to go with porn parody. Porn parody. Yeah. Oh, all right. The Lion Kink. Porn parody. Porn parody. Yeah. Sure, why not? Barely Legally Blonde. Porn parody. Literal porn parody. Okay. To get a little harder now. Ass playing for keeps. You made that up. Made that up. Not a porn parody. <laughs> Cat Baloo, a bunch of guys. You made that up. Not a porn parody. Alright. Finding Nemo's G spot. Porn parody. Porn parody. Yes! Oh, the world. Mm. A room with a view of people fucking. <laughs> That's going to be one now. I have our movie. Hey, hey. the Muppets take Manhattan without consent. <laughs> we guess not a porn not parody. a porn parody. That would be awful. Who would do that? Two broke girls, one cup. <laughs> Come on. Porn parody? Come on. That's good. Is that, a, is that that's real? fucking good? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Nah. Nah. I made all these up. How to run a train on your dragon? I'm gonna guess you also made that up since you just said I made. Nah. <laughs> no one was listening. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kitty Porn. <laughs> porn parody or not a... That actually probably is real. I think it's real. I just didn't want to Google kitty porn. No, ag- you shouldn't. Again. Yahoo. Uh, <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and Larry, the guy who's into lions and witches. <laughs> porn parody or not a porn parody. porn parody. Nah. The Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, now with more fellowship. <laughs> no. Who cares, right? <laughs> It's just a funny list. Rear window two, rear entry. That should be. Should be. That should be. Shit pussy two, electric boogaloo. Probably. That's actually Kurosawa. That's a late (laughs) Kurosawa film. Not a lot of people know that. You guys all right? Everybody good? All right. I feel like it got real weird about three minutes ago. This will help a lot. Rosemary's Baby 2, all grown up. (laughs) Porn parody. (laughs) 
they hate that movie. <laughs> they do. I, some of these, I think, are going to get made after this. Speed 3, Bang Bus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a really specific porn reference. Fuck under 60 miles an hour to you off the bus. Yeah, yeah. right? Why not? Those of you that laugh know the Bang Bus system of yeah. porn. Those of you that don't, yeah. hey, life it, is okay for you. It's no dumber than Speed 2 or Bang Bus. Bang Bus. All right. Ugh, it's hard to watch. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, let's focus. Number, let's say, 17. Uh, the kid stays in the picture. Hmm. All right, nobody got that. Wreck It Ralph Butthole Edition. Yes, yeah, real, real one. That's a real one. A lot of groans. You guys know what show you're at, right? All right, all downhill from here. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy Piss Mop. I would love to see your porn studio that just does like Merchant Ivory. <laughs> yeah, one in the stink, two in the Pink Panther. Mm, porn parody or not a, I wish it were That'd be great, wouldn't it? Uh, 127 hours of a guy jacking off with his one good arm <laughs> Or as I call it, the weekend Hey! The cook, the thief, his wife, her lover Three weird old queens and a dude who just likes to watch What? Stop listening <laughs> So did they <laughs> Alright, and finally, for all the bonus points Kindergarten cop of field <laughs> All right, get the fuck out of here. Mike Jocker, ladies and gentlemen, you'll see him again in a minute. Did you guys pass all your shits down to Jono? Did everybody do that? And let's welcome your round one competitors who came prepared, ladies and gentlemen. Leah Bonima, Tim Ellis, Jono Zalay, Janine Brito, and Rojo Perez. Keep it going. Keep it going for these good people. Yes. Hi. Let's start with Rojo Perez, ladies and gentlemen. What is up? Um, hey. Hello. Okay, Hello. there we go. Uh, April 3rd, 1993. That's a wrap. DJ's been wrapped for hours, considering all her attention has been directed at other guest star. She pulls her friend Kimmy to the side. There's something about him. The nose, the mustache. Look how big his shoes are. I'd love to get caught in that mouse trap. DJ, be quiet. Your dad is right there, Kimmy whispers. I don't care. There's something about this place. It just makes me feel magical. Michelle gets to be a princess. Joey gets to be a fat fuck and eat all day. Have these sweet A-cup tits and nobody to show them them. I'm ready to get me some mouse dick. I'm going in. <laughs> Calm down. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> DJ makes her way over. Hey, Mickey. Are those ears erect? Are you excited to see me? Excuse me? My name is DJ. When was the last time you scratched a record? Oh, boy. You feel like punching in once you clock out? <laughs> Why do you talk like that? Because it's sexy. <laughs> How old are you? Old enough to not have a gag reflex. <laughs> Mickey, confused, aroused at the idea of how uncomfortable this makes him, walks away into his dressing room. DJ, not ready to give up, makes a beeline for the dressing room with Kimmy not too far behind. As DJ and Kimmy bust through the dressing room door, there he is, even more enticing than before. The body of a man with the face of a mouse still. <laughs> what took you so long, ladies? At the sound of his voice, Kimmy and DJ both drop their jean jumpers to the ground. <laughs> Mickey now sees the young ladies in nothing but training broad panties. The two soon-to-be women start kissing their bare half-man, half-mouse chest, starting at his nipples, working their way down like two synchronized fuckers. <laughs> DJ pulls Mickey's tights down to find that the hour watch was at noon. 
Anxious to show her non-existent gag reflex, DJ begins to caress his erect penis with her barely legal 18-year-old lips. As was customary, Kimmy went straight for the taint. Mickey, not being able to restrain himself, pulls both girls off him and tosses Kimmy on the floor. Mick begins to tease Kimmy's vagina with his now wet penis. Kimmy tries to inch closer and closer, hoping to feel at least the tip. DJ, seizing the opportunity, moves up to and sits on Kimmy's face, trying to get her to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Lick that pussy like our friendship depended on it, DJ demands. <laughs> Next, all you hear is a muffled scream as, Mink- as Mickey enters Kimmy like a deep battery touching a tongue. DJ feels the vibration and begins to moan and play with her nipples while fixated on that mouse dick, giving nothing but pleasure to her neighbor. She's had enough. It's my turn. Get on your fucking back. The idea of her juices flowing all over this stranger's penis is enough to have her come right there. DJ slowly bends down and feels this veiny, wet, uncircumcised penis enter her for the first time. And the warmth of that wet pussy makes Mickey want to take his mask off. DJ yells, no, it's better like this. Kimmy, not knowing what to do, goes back to the ball slash taint area. <laughs> There's a sudden crack at the door, and in walks little sister Stephanie. Oh my god, DJ, what are you doing? What do you think? I'm giving Mickey some sweet pussy now. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> How rude, Stephanie explained before leaving. <laughs> DJ, refusing to be distracted, places her hands on Mickey's chest, continuing to bounce up and down each time with more force, with each time getting closer, making this fantasy a reality. Mickey says he is close to finishing, and DJ pinches his nipples and tells him not to fucking come before she does. <laughs> Cut it out, Mickey says, the bright character. That seems to send DJ into overdrive as that dick finally hits the right spot. Her legs clench, her lips tight, her eyes roll back and fo- and force one DJ's, fuck me. Let's do that again. We were having fun. Here we go. Um, that seems to send DJ into an overdrive as that dick finally hits the right spot. Her legs clench, her lips tighten, her eyes roll back, and for once, DJ is finally the princess. <laughs> hey, mouse, let Kimmy taste it. I want to watch. <laughs> Kimmy excited at the idea of finishing the job. It takes very little to get Mickey to finish as Kimmy wraps her lips around that well-used and abused penis and gets that final taste of what became known as the secret never mentioned in an already full house. (laughs) Rojo Perez. The strong opening volley. Let's see a little little, uh, Janine Brito up here, ladies and gentlemen. Janine Brito. There we go. Hey, everybody. (laughs) It had been a strange day. But days at the goondocks had been gloomy since Chunk and his friends found out that they'd have to uproot their entire lives to make way for the rich yuppies who wanted to expand the Astoria Country Club. Oh my god. In the attic, Chunk had once again fallen prey to his friends' manipulations. He was always the butt of the joke, when all he wanted was to be, was to be the butt of their wildest dreams. <laughs> he knew this day would be unlike any other when he dropped the frayed map and got roped into yet another Goonies adventure by his biggest crush, Mikey. The sheepish, sheepish leader with a tight ass and the coolest of bowl cuts. <laughs> it was a dangerous mission. Follow the path of one-eyed the Willie, a fabled pirate who, as legend said, left a vast treasure somewhere right there in Oregon. The quest was simple. They could follow the map and find the treasure and they could save the goondocks. Chuck knew it was a hopeless, but at the very least, it'd be one last adventure. 
and one last chance to accidentally brush your genitals against one of fellow Goody's backside. <laughs> but the day had taken a dark turn when the treasure map led them right into the secret lair of the Fratellis, a criminal family made up of two brothers and their mannish beret-wearing mother. <laughs> Chunk had been the one caught left behind. The Fratellis had questioned him mercilessly, and Chunk now found himself tied to a chair in a room in a dank basement. The rope chafed against his wrists and sent an excited tingle up the fat rolls of his thighs. <laughs> As he sat there in his dark prison, Chunk let his mind wander to the fantasies he'd harbored for years. All the lustful thoughts he'd had about his ragtag group of friends that he knew would never come to fruition. <laughs> Getting fisted by Data's boxing glove invention. <laughs> his booty trap fully presented, bent over in front of the young Asian boy as he worked the contraction's lovers to send Chunk into dizzied spells of pleasure. <laughs> the night he stayed up and wondered if Mouth's nickname had come solely from his ability to talk or if that luscious Mouth had any other talents. <laughs> or even earlier that day, as they sat on their journey, Chunk wished as they tied Mikey's older brother Brandon to the lazy boy with his own workout equipment so they could get away that he could have stayed behind and ridden the 17-year-old's toned body like a huffy mountain bike. <laughs> And Mikey, oh sweet husky voice Mikey, Chunk had pined after that boy for years, longing to give him a very special reason to be out of breath each time Mikey brought his inhaler to his plump red lips. <laughs> Suddenly someone or something to his left stirred and Chunk realized he wasn't alone. As he turned to face the television that had been playing in the background, he saw in front of it a huge shadowy figure. Hey, mister, the young Jewish boy sheepishly bellowed. My name's Chunk. <laughs> the large figure turned and revealed a sight so horrifying it was the hottest goddamn thing Chunk had ever seen. <laughs> a cone head shaped like a cock with one droopy eye and a mouth that stayed open and slack jaw like it was already ready for action. <laughs> Chunk screamed in a mix of pure terror and excitement. <clears throat> The monster bellowed back in a high-pitched screech, but with a glint of excitement in his eyes. At that moment, Chunk knew it was on. <laughs> Chunk! Chunk! Me! Slaw! Slaw! Chunk! <laughs> the behemoth stood, chained to his own prison, and bumped into Chunk with such a force it ch sent Chunk falling backwards onto the floor. Sloth's high-pitched laugh pierced Chunk's ears, and he felt downtrodden. <laughs> Once again, he was the butt of the joke. <laughs> oh, man, now you're just going to want me to do the truffle shuffle so you can laugh at me, too. <laughs> truffle shuffle? <laughs> truffle shuffle? <laughs> the muscular simpleton asked sheepishly. <laughs> it was a request Chunk had heard many times before, always in a mocking tone. This time, for the first time in his life, there was a sensuous lust behind it. <laughs> Untie me and I'll show you, Chunk replied. Sloth stood up and flexed his muscle until his own chains broke. He then hoisted the young boy into the air and gently untied the rope that had been digging into Chunk's wrists. Sloth slowly set the boy down, then went back to sit down in his own chair to watch. The slight bulge in Sloth's pants showed he was already getting excited with anticipation. <laughs> the ample-bodied boy slowly lifted his button-down Hawaiian shirt, as the huge beast's breath quickened, and as the huge beast's huge beast became engorged. 
Chunk and his friends had set out to find One-Eyed Willie, but Chunk never dreamed he'd find it like this. <laughs> Chunk rapidly undulated, letting his stomach fat jiggle in what could only be described as the truffliest of truffle shuffles. <laughs> Chunk gave it his all. Sloth suddenly unleashed his one-eyed Willie, and Chunk truly realized he'd found quite the treasure. <laughs> Chunk giggled with pleasure as the giant captive stood up and rubbed his member onto Chunk's ample belly, letting it slide into any and every fat roll it could find as Chunk's body continued its truffle shuffles dance of seduction. Chunk reached into his back pocket and pulled out the lone Baby Ruth candy bar he'd been stashing for such a moment like this. Uh. Baby Ruth? Chunk asked as he unwrapped the peanut butter and chocolate candy from its plastic wrapper sheath. He placed the chocolate bar in his mouth and beckoned for Sloth to take the other side of the Baby Ruth and his. And there they deep-throated from either side like a chocolatey, peanutty, North American man-boy love association approved version of the lady in the tramp. <laughs> Two passions meeting in the middle. Call me Baby Ruth! The viral monster gasped in ecstasy. Ruth! Ruth! Baby! Ruth! As the two undulated against each other. Finally, Sloth climaxed with a resounding, Hey, you guys! Before they both collapsed with satisfaction. As they lay on the cold basement floor covered in sweat, jizz, and melted Baby Ruth chocolate... Chunk reached his pudgy hand over to Sloth's recently spent one-eyed willy and stroked it gently, getting it ready for more. Because after all, Goonies never say die. <laughs> Janine Brito! Oh, man. We're going to need a new lawyer. Uh, let's, keep it. let's see if we can keep this streak of pedophilia going with Tim Ellis, ladies and gentlemen. Tim Ellis. Thank you, uh... Well, you may have heard that uh, one of New York's great mayors died recently, and this is called A Requiem for Ed Koch, or Ed's Cock, an Appreciation. I come to praise Ed Koch, not to bury him. New York's quintessential mayor, who served three terms in the 70s and 80s, was larger than life. As Bill Clinton said at Koch's memorial, he had a big brain, but a bigger heart. And he should have mentioned an even bigger cock. <laughs> Tall and erect like the Empire State Building, thick and solid like the pylons of the Brooklyn Bridge, fast yet unpredictable like the F train. <laughs> Ed Koch's penis embodied the city itself. And at a time when New York was straddling a new era, the mayor was straddling practically everybody in it. <laughs> Ed's cock was pretty much always inside the vagina or anus of everyday New Yorkers, like your lo local greengrocer or bank teller. He'd stick it in and say his catchphrase, How am I doing? <laughs> Not everyone was psyched to have the mayor's member in their butthole or pussy, but usually they liked it. It, it was something you could count on. Like the New York Post headlines or the locks at Russ and Daughters. <laughs> By the way, Koch stooped Russ and his daughters. <laughs> and in a time of fiscal austerity, race riots, and widespread corruption, fucking helped to ease the pain. And the bachelor mayor led the city balls out. Sometimes he'd go down to Wall Street and bang a bunch of CEOs and analysts to try to jumpstart the economy. Analysts, he called them. 
He had a, he had a body sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, you know the people who clap at the opening bell of the stock exchange? Koch would give them oral under the podium to make them cheer harder. Then he'd fuck the bell so it rang loud and clear. <laughs> or he'd swing by the Bowery and let the bums give him a hand job for a few bucks. It took like five or six homeless men to get him off, so it became a little project. In this way, he not only stimulated commerce, but fostered a sense of cooperation and self-esteem. <laughs> On weekends, Ed would show up unannounced at Studio 54 and dance through the coke and disco-fueled night. In the darkness, his prick would find its way into some unsuspecting but happy orifice. Who am I doing? He'd say. <laughs> One night, it was the much sought-after twat of Debbie Harry. They hit it off, and she taught Ed all about the CBGB scene, introducing him to bands like Television and Talking Heads. Apparently, David Byrne recorded the vocals to Psycho Killer while in the throes of a mayoral shagging, which kind of explains his unusual delivery. Or on a lazy afternoon, he'd take the subway to the Bronx Zoo and give an elephant a rusty trombone. Then he'd fuck the shit out of it. <laughs> Some say this was self-indulgent or abusive to animals But I know why he did it It was to show that tough New York spirit That says, we'll get through anything Plus kids enjoyed it And tourists got to take <laughs> Some pretty funny photos The elephant wasn't complaining either <laughs> Everyone knows about the World Series game in 1977 When Reggie Jackson hit three home runs Off three pitches against the Dodgers but what they don't know is that he hit a fourth home run in the clubhouse after the game by depositing a line drive into Mayor Koch's bleacher seats. <laughs> his ass. <laughs> after which Koch turned around and blasted a shot off his bat towards Reggie's face. But it veered at the last second and splattered on the floor right in front of Catfish Hunter's locker. How'd I do? said the mayor. <laughs> Ground rule double, said Mr. October. Then everyone in the clubhouse laughed. <laughs> Even Billy Martin, who hated Reggie. It could be pretty uptight. You see, Ed had this effect on people. Now, probably the most famous event of the Koch administration was Simon and Garfunkel's 1981 concert in Central Park. Koch was there backstage where he helped Paul and Artie warm up by letting them deep-throat his massive knob. This loosens up the larynx, which, which helps to hit the high notes. Ed even joined them on stage and played bass for the 59th Street Bridge song, feeling groovy with his schlong. The crowd of 500,000 went wild. Then a special guest was announced, and Paul, it was Paul's wife at the time, Carrie Fisher, who happened to be wearing her Princess Leia metal bikini outfit from The Return of the Jedi. I don't know if she'd just come from a shoot or what, but everyone knows that outfit was hot. <laughs> Immediately, Koch unhinged her bikini bottom and started going down on Princess Leia Organa's coveted organ. <laughs> this must have been planned, but it, but it seemed spontaneous. <laughs> As Garfunkel started quietly crooning Bridge Over Troubled Water, Simon just sat there and watched Ed as if to say, I do this at home all the time. <laughs> While Ed's tongue flew into her trench like an X-wing fighter, <laughs> he 
he also maneuvered the Millennium Falcon of his dick up around her head and fired two diverging laser beams of sticky glaze onto her cinnamon buns. (laughs) Then, just as the song kicked up a notch, with Art and Paul singing, Sail on, silver girl. Ed used the force of his tongue to find the weak spot of her Death Star, and she exploded in orgasm her cries reverberating from the Great Lawn to the steel canyons of Midtown to a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> it was beautiful. Now Ed Koch is dead. And while his political legacy will be debated, Ed's cock lives on. In the legions of offspring he sired, in some hilarious snapshots from the Bronx Zoo, and in Brooklyn basement shows like this one, where the truth can still be told. How'd he do? Pretty fucking great. (laughs) Tim Ellis. Keep it going for Leah Bonham, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, This piece is called Any Given Sunday in My Pants. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm excited already. I just broke the microphone. Perfect. Um... You're going in, barked barked coach Tony D'Amato to Alessandra, the first female player for the Sharks, the first female player for the NFL. With nine seconds left to go in the playoffs, Alessandra put on her helmet. She flashed back to days before in the office of team owner and manager Christina Pagniacci. Christina was telling her that it was all about ratings, more fans, more sponsors, more money for the stadium. Alessandra had heard it all before, but she loved to watch Christina talk. So rigid and uptight, trying to hold on to the legacy of her father's empire. Alessandra knew she brought media attention, but she considered it her job to remind Christina about the real passion behind the game of football. Unbridled, wild, frenetic as it was. Alessandra didn't usually go in for blondes, but Christina was ruthless, and it made Alessandra hot. Christina was even firing their favorite coach, Tony D'Amato, and moving up offensive coach played by Aaron Eckhart, who was so two-faced. <laughs> Christina, <clears throat> Christina's mouth was moving, but Alessandra wasn't listening to her as she watched Christina's legs and imagined the fire behind it when the veil of togetherness fell to the floor. She imagined her mouth parting and her silent groans of pleasure while were stuck in Christina's throat. Alessandra knew that Christina hungered for release. She stood up from her chair, and without a word, she strode across to Christina and pushed her back against her big oak desk, so rigid and structured, she couldn't wait to defile it. She put one hand on Christina's throat and squeezed almost gently at first, but then very strong, letting Christina know that she was about to be taken, and not in the Liam Neeson sense of the word. (laughs) Uh, With her other hand, Alessandra pulled up Christina's skirt and exposing her panties, She felt the heat that was behind it. For a moment, Christina remained rigid, fighting against what she knew she wanted. I don't date players, she barely whispered. I have no interest in dating you, Ms. Pagniacci. I'm just here to fuck you. Alessandra breathed out the words, just going to fuck you, into her neck. She tore open Christina's sweater, exposing white lace that was straining against Christina's heaving chest. Alessandra ripped one side of her bra down and reached out for Christina's perky, perfect breast, squeezing her nipple hard. Christina gasped, and Alessandra knew she wanted her badly. Alessandra grabbed the back of Christina's hair and pulled her down onto the green blotter and desk nameplate. Alessandra smiled. She was going to fuck the institution of propriety right out of her. 
Alessandra felt herself swell with um uh, Alessandra kept her clothes on. She was the boss this time. Um she oh this is dirty. She stuck one of her hands <laughs> she stuck one of her hands in Christina's mouth and with the other she spread Christina's thighs. Uh, white cotton panties were already drenched as Alessandra traced around them with her fingers, Christina biting at her thumbs. Uh, she pulled Christina's panties to the side and uh, rubbed circles on Christina's now throbbing mound. <laughs> Alessandra stared intensely into Christina's eyes as she teased her fingers inside her. I've always wanted to screw my boss, she said. Christina, she worked Christina in and out and in and out, never taking the fingers out of Christina's mouth. Christina was biting at her palm, finally letting go, gasping, moaning against Alessandra's strong hands. She came, pulsing. She was burning for more, but Alessandra knew there would be other times. So she gently kissed her, she gently cupped her beautiful mound, kissed her labia goodbye, and said, I'll see you on the field. (laughs) You're going in, Tony D repeated. Bill Bellamy was out. She was the only receiver left. (laughs) Everyone else was injured. She felt like Rudy walking onto the field. But Rudy made her angry because what was Samwise Gamgee doing out of the Shire without Frodo? Quarterback Stephen Willie Beamer nodded to her. The problem with being the only female footballer was that you have to represent all women, and that seemed unfair and hard on Alessandra. But she did like the idea of young girls knowing that there were more options for, for them in professional sports other than cheerleading. Not that Alessandra disliked cheerleading. She remembered a hot little brunette who recognized her after a away game in a bar bathroom. The brown-haired vixen had pushed up against her heart in a stall with tight, ample tits that begged for Alessandra to slap them and an ass that made Alessandra want to bury her face in it for days. I'm hungry. Let's get out of here, she cooed. The girl had an appetite, and Alessandra fed her well. Quarterback Willie Beamer was going to pass for her to her. No one would expect it. She saw the snap and started running. She knew where to go. She didn't even have to look. She'd run those plays thousands of times. And just like Gandalf said, look to the north, look up at the first dawn on the fifth day, look to, to, to the east for my coming. She knew Willie's balls would be there. She could hear her heart pounding in her ears and the ball spiraling towards her. She turned slightly and plucked the ball from the air as a stampede of 300-pound men bounded towards her. She would hold on to that ball if it broke every bone in her body. Someone was running up beside her. She pushed forward. I got you. It was LL Cool J. (laughs) He was running beside her and blocking for Alessandra. He was something like a phenomenon. (laughs) (laughs) Alessandra's legs were, were burning. She remembered Tony's speech. Life is a game of inches. Football is a game of inches. She would scratch for those inches. She visualized crossing the goal line, paying off her parents' home, being on the cover of Maxim Magazine without having to take her clothes off, (laughs) telling girls that they could be anything they wanted, having a football movie about a woman with Gene Hackman playing the coach. She, She heard one of the Knights players coming from the side. She dove for the goal line. And she could hear Christina screaming from the box. She visualized her nipples breaking out against her tight blouse. Touchdown! The ball locked in Alessandra's arms. The crowd went wild. She laid, on the, she laid there grinning. She looked up and Christina had run over to her, standing over her with her skirt on and no panties. I'll see you later, she said. A reward. On any given Sunday, Alessandra thought as Willie and LL hoisted her up over her shoulders. Leah Bonham! 
guys couldn't see those pages. They look like the musings of a serial killer. It's really, content aside, just the way she writes. It's like four words per page. A lot of scratch outs. Joe Zalay, ladies and gentlemen. Final competitor for round one. Bringing it home with Jono's motherfucking mustache. Yeah, I needed it to write this stuff. <laughs> it helps. It's filthy. <laughs> uh, so this is the uh, unauthorized sequel to the book uh, The War for Late Night. <laughs> and it's entitled uh, Conan O'Brien Can't Stop Coming All Over Jay Leno. <laughs> In many ways, it started out like any other Saturday afternoon. Conan O'Brien was having lunch with his longtime writing partner, Robert Smigel, the voice and puppeteer of Triumph, the insult comic dog. The major difference was the location, the Brentwood Country Club. Conan was famously replaced on the Tonight Show, but not without a hefty settlement, an elevated celebrity, which, uh, which afforded him easy access to such an exclusive club. Conan hated this place, but he wasn't here for the food. The waiter brought them a basket of artisan bread with various spreads. Huckleberry compote, fig chutney, mint tapenade, reinforcing that, yes, this place caters to the worst kind of asshole. <laughs> it was then that the asshole walked in, Jay Leno, the man that had double-crossed Conan, the man that would not even talk to Conan during the so-called war for late night, and instead hid behind the NBC suits. Not this time. Now, Smigel asked. Conan shot Smigel a glance that affirmed the plan was in motion. Smigel trailed a few paces behind as Conan gracefully flanked Jay. He casually threw an arm around Leno's girthy shoulders. Oh, hello, Jay. Fancy seeing you here. Conan, I, uh, I didn't know you came to the club. Yes, Jay, I'm technically a member. You can't remove me from everywhere. <laughs> Care to join me in the billiard room? Conan then guided Jay down the hall into the private game room. Jay noticed Robert Smigel and knew it was pointless to resist. (laughs) What do you want from me, Conan? Jay pleaded with a quiver in his voice. Satisfaction, Conan teased. But in an instant, the sense of frivolity left O'Brien's face. There was a longing in Conan's eyes. I want to know why. Why you had to have it. That question had tormented Conan from the beginning. But with the recent news that Jay would be handing off the Tonight Show to Jimmy Fallon, it hit a fever pitch. I mean, Jimmy Fallon, sure, he has an excellent writing staff, including Mike Drucker, who's on the show later, in round two. It's very funny. But somehow Conan knew there was more to it than that. Jay suddenly looked up, his face pregnant with tension, their eyes locked. You really want to know? Conan's 6'4 frame was now towering over Jay, bending ever so slightly, so his freckled face was mere inches from Jay's fleshy visage. (laughs) More than anything. Jay did not cower away. Conan's fop hairdo lay gently on Leno's ample forehead. Jay whispered deliberately, I wanted what was yours. Their lips met. Jay had wanted it all right, wanted it all along. Conan could tell that now as his tongue doped the back of Jay's throat. Jay's enormous face sucked him in farther. Leno's suit seemed to melt off. His yearning was so intense that he began writhing under Conan's powerful embrace. 
Jay reached down Conan's pants and cuffed his heaving ball sack. There was a heft to it that was second only to the thicket of pubic hair that comprised Conan's fiery red bush. <laughs> At 49 years old, Conan was not yet Jay's target demographic of over 50. <laughs> but Jay was undeterred. He knew he could satisfy O'Brien's carnal force. Conan swung Jay around and bent him over the t- pool table. Jay's iconic chin dug into the green felt. <laughs> You want what's mine, Conan taunted? Give it to me. I want it all, Coach Jay demanded. <laughs> Conan steadied his freckled scepter and with a single thrust impaled Leno's soggy butt crack. <laughs> take it. Take what's mine, Conan proclaimed. Yes, I want it. I can't get enough. I never have enough, Leno craved. <laughs> Conan knew Jay's appetite was insatiable. At that moment, he knew his decision to bring Robert Smigel had paid off. Conan glanced at his friend, who had been completely naked the whole time. (laughs) He was stroking his virile, circumcised Jew dick so furiously that sweat began to saturate his hair-covered body, reminding Conan of how they came up with the masturbating bear. Conan nodded towards Smigel. Now. Robert strode, uh, strode behind Conan and eased his fist into O'Brien's salivating butthole. <laughs> Smigel made Conan's prostate dance like a marionette <laughs> as he puppeteered the organ that would transform Conan's throbbing member into a gushing fire hose. <laughs> Conan felt the big moment approaching with uh, Smigel's fingers up his man pussy. His bounty of jizz would become boundless. He unsheathed his red fury from Jay's gaping pit of despair and sprayed his baby batter onto Jay's hairy back with a calligrapher's precision. And Conan O'Brien could not stop. He never wanted to stop. He had so much man-frosting that he signed his whole name and had enough left over to draw that cute cartoon of him with the hair and freckles. As any fan knew, Conan never turns down a chance to give an autograph. As Jay lay motionless on the pool table, glazed like a ham by Conan's seed, Robert Smigel crouched above his head. He ran his fingers through Jay's gray hair, wiping off the residue of Conan's rectum. Jay, you are a great talk show host for me to poop on. <laughs> Smigel delivered his catchphrase and evacuated his bowels and did not shit in weeks. Jay just opened his mouth and took it. Basking in the filth. He knew he deserved it. <laughs> Jono Soleil, stay right there, Jono. Let's bring up everybody from round one. We will be voting on a winner. Okay, so uh, first I'm just going to remind you who everybody was and what their topic was, so don't vote yet, and then we will vote with your applause. So we started with Rojo Perez with Full House. Then we had Janine Abredo with The Goonies. Then Tim Ellis with Ed Koch. Leah Bonima with Any Given Sunday. And then Jono with War for Late Night. So pick your favorite, starting with Rojo Perez, Full House. <laughs> Bang 
Janine Brito, Goonies. Tim Ellis, Ed Koch. Leah Bonema, Any Given Sunday. Jono Zale, War for Late Night. All right, we got to do it. We got to, uh, so between Rojo, Jono, it's hard to say, and Janine. So, uh, one more time, starting with Rojo Perez, Full House. Janine Brado, Goonies. Jono's Delay War for Late Night. Fucking making this hard on me. Uh, I'm going to call that a tie between Rojo and Jono, I think. That's here for everybody for round one, man. Thank you guys so much. That was awesome. Well, that does it for round one. Go download episode four to hear round two. And for updates on the show, you can follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cooking, or join the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Facebook group. Upcoming shows include June 17th at the Davis Square Theater in Somerville, Massachusetts. June 18th, back at Nerdist for the one-year anniversary show, which is also the first L.A. Championship edition, featuring nothing but past winners like Kyle Kinane, Kurt Bronner, Mike O'Connell, Eliza Skinner, and Andre Duboucher. And July 14th, you can catch us at the Hawthorne Theater in Portland, Oregon, with special guest Jackie Cation. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.